Welcome to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. Your hosts are Alex Pachuk and John Massey. We have conversations with folks throughout the tech industry to get real-world perspective on how people make things happen for their careers and businesses. Check out pragmatically.com for more content just like this. Hey, John. How's it going? Good, Alex. What's up, man? How you doing? Doing well. A lot going on this week. Been pretty busy. What about you? Yep. Yeah, a lot of the same. A lot of the same, you know, like whenever we're coming through, you know, any, whenever we're starting a new quarter or we work in quarters, there's, uh, you know, we have reviews and a lot of paperwork to get through. So, but yeah, feeling good about, you know, what we got set up next. So it's good. So I've been hearing a lot, a lot about dev sprint or sprint zero. You've been talking about that a lot. So I have, yep. Really curious to learn what it is, how it works and what's the, what's the benefit, like why we should do it. Yeah, so Dev Sprint and, and yeah, and I've I've I have been very excited about it because I've been mostly excited about the effect it's had on the culture of my team. And uh, if I take a step back, the first thing I learned this actually, or I got the idea of running a Dev Sprint for my team from actually another manager. And a long time ago, and I think you got the same advice, was to look outside of your organization, like in another company, for someone who has like a similar job as you and learn from them or take them as a coach or a mentor. And I discovered that, or I had the opportunity to meet another manager or technical manager in another company. That kind of happened by accident. So yes, I, I had the, an open mind to connect with another person, but I didn't really know or have the social tools to go and seek that person out. So it was a happy accident that I met this individual. I was really interested in developing good working cultures. Like how do I keep people motivated? How do we get people like to have ownership in uh, like a sprint or, or in scrum and uh, the company that we were meeting with or we were on site for was a partner company. They were using what was called scaled agile or safe. I think it's S A F E. And it's like a little E when you see it in writing and a part of safe, they had what's called a dev sprint. I didn't realize it was part of their framework. The manager I was talking to, they said that they'll run through an iteration. And then at the end of an iteration or a a time duration, let's say it was a quarter, there's a different term that they use for it in safe. But at the very end, they do what's called a dev sprint where they allow the developers time to clean up their processes, pay down tech debt and those kinds of things. But it was also described to me from this, this person that I met with as a time where the team can set up to be successful for the quarter. And so what they did was they, they pasted or taped up the the big projects that the teams were setting out to accomplish. So the product owners had to create the product requirement docs. They had to describe what the, what the benefits were going to be, what they were setting out to accomplish, how it was going to affect the business. And then developers would look at those things and then they would introspect. They would say, what is it that we need to do to be successful for this next big increment or big shipment. And they would spend a full sprint dedicated to doing that work. And so every sprint afterwards should be a little bit easier uh, to help them realize the goals for the, for the quarter. And I just love that idea. So it's a sprint dedicated to engineering, kind of discovering, investigating kind of technical issues or project that coming up in the quarter like it starts with the dev, this dev sprint almost like hey let's get ready let's prepare for the next quarter upcoming quarter let's gonna get all our, our stuff together clean it up and i can understand what we're gonna do in the uh with all the projects that that coming up is that is that right yeah exactly so an example of that would be automation let's say for instance i'm a new company um, i have a team of four engineers We've been manually locally building our application and then just dropping it onto a server somewhere for customers to enjoy. The top, a dev sprint might be, well, let's add some automation. Let's bring Jenkins on board. Let's do something interesting here. This is going to help us a lot because the last increment, we only did six releases. We'd like to do six releases a week. 
And in order to do that, we can spend that time here. And that's where the value added is. It's kind of hard, at least just, just speaking from my own experience, like the quarter starts, you bombard it with like goals and projects. There's like no time, like everyone's like has to go, go, go like right away because we, uh, the, the, as soon as the quarter starts, we're already behind. <laughs> so right. how do you, how do you get that time? It sounds awesome. It sounds nice. Like, Hey, let's take a pause. Let's gonna sit down, take a deep breath, look at our projects maybe do a little bit of technical debt uh, work, uh, preparation. It sounds all great, but where do you get that time? Actually, what I found is Agile doesn't actually prescribe a sprint zero or a dev sprint. It's not in the manifest at all, actually. Yeah, Agile is, is actually a pretty vague term. Maybe we can talk about that. There's so many flavors of, uh, of Agile, so it's, I guess it's just one of them. There, there is, but there's actually a very good reason for it, is that in the actual Agile manifest, one of the first things they say is that this is not a process. This isn't a thing or a routine to follow, but it's a set of tools that you can use to iterate on your process. And so that's, that it's supposed to be different for everyone. And if, you're, if you look at, I've started to talk to you about complex systems. Agile is actually the first framework that invites iteration on a working process. That's also why I've been really hesitant and really not sure how to ground because, you know, we're working on an article on the dev sprint to share with people. And I start writing like I'm coming from this position. I'm so excited about the dev sprint because I'm so excited about how my team has been responding and our demos are amazing and we're really ramping up our productivity for the rest of the quarter. But the problem is with Agile and with any complex system is I can't take my success or the success that I've had with my team in this experiment and actually just trans give that to you. It's not, the results may vary. It's not going to be the same thing. So that's why it's important that when we, we look at something like Scrum or at an Agile and the Dev Sprint or Sprint Zero, we look at these as experimental artifacts. We look at these things as we're going to try it. And that's actually what I did with my team with the, with the developer sprint. It's always, the developer sprint always was in my mind for over probably two years, I'd say. I I never ran one, but it was something I always thought about doing. And to answer your question specifically, the safe or, uh, variation or the scaled agile actually bakes in the dev sprint as part of the process. And that is easier to sell to stakeholders when you're talking about a framework. You say, hey, this is just part of the framework. This is about how, how we work. And so it's much easier for if you have product and technology teams kind of, or business teams and technology teams arguing for time or how to spend that time. If it's part of the guarantee, and in this case for safe, there's actually consultants that will come in and say, this is how you should behave. And so it's in that framework by default carves that time out for your engineering staff to spend that, to spend doing the things that they need to do. Okay, so so I want to cover two things in, in our conversation. Just just learning for myself, like what it is and and why I should even consider that. Right, you already do that, so I, I think it's it's been pretty successful for you and your team. That that's why I wanted to learn that kind of how to do it from you. So two things I want to cover. Uh, one is how does your team adapt it? Like your engineering team, like what's the benefit? Are, are they excited about this? Any like positive effects that you have, like after kind of just looking back, like what are the kind of wins uh, doing this? And the second is, how do you get kind of convince your stakeholders, product, your leadership kind of to give you this time? Because it's time, right? And agile is just, a, I guess, it's just the word that companies use to say, oh, we're doing agile. It's just a process. But in reality, it, it just everything is kind of the same. People have, have tasks to do, they have to, to deliver. There are some expectations in terms of the timelines. We're just saying we're doing agile, but not, not everyone is actually doing agile, right? So two things yeah. I want to cover. So let's talk about how do you get the time to do it? Is okay, that so a... talking to stakeholders and leadership, yeah. right? Okay. Right. So in order to have it a little bit easier because I am also technically a product owner of, of my, my organization, but if you have a strong relationship with your product owner, then this is definitely a collaboration exercise. But here's what's interesting about the dev, about the dev sprint and, and how I came into it. 
there are a couple of very important things um, with the dev sprint. When you say dev sprint, you're saying I'm giving the the decision making process of what we should prioritize next to the team. Okay. So if you're the manager and the product person, what are the outer boundaries that you're held to, to uh, as that you're measured against? So for accountability, making sure the goals are met and those types of things. So if you're giving the control of the sprint away to the team or what the prioritization order should be to the team, then you also have to give them all of the same accountability measures that are on you and your product partner. And so when you talk to the product partner, and that was, that's actually a lot of what I thought about before running the dev sprint was how do I give the team my sense of accountability of what we're working on? And so I baked in a couple of things. I said, first, I need to make sure we, I know what we're setting, we're going to work on for the quarter. Absolutely. And that's an easy exercise you can do with your product person. You can sit down and say, what are the things? Because now from technology, depending on how strong your product person is in tech and how well they understand it, they might have there's going to be a lot of fear there. So you have to have to trust you. Okay. So if you don't have that, then that's something you have to work on first. And if you have that trust and you have some wins with that person, then they'll say they'll be willing to take more risks with you and, and embark on experiments like a dev sprint or sprint zero. Okay. So then what's, what's next. So you agree with your product person. This is what we have to get done this quarter. And you make guarantees that you're both setting out to accomplish this together. It's not one or the other's responsibility. It's both people, both co-ownership. That's important because if either one of you become just too, too accountable for the outcomes, then it becomes blaming and you're not a team. And then that's when one person might prioritize their effort over another. It's very complicated, but it's very important. So then the next thing is once you have, you agree on what you're going to set out for, to do in the quarter, you have to be very clear of objectively what you expect the outcomes to be, right? So if it's a new piece of software, a new feature for a customer, it's a new process for continuous integration. It's a new style of deployment. You want to, I wouldn't get specifics in like, oh, we're going to use Rust or we're going to use Golang. Like those things are too specific because that's up to the team to make that determination. The technology person, you want to make sure that it's done, like decisions are made in a responsible manner, but not too controlling. You don't want, you don't have to do that. There's a, we spend a lot of time and money on hiring very intelligent people, highly educated folks to, to do that for us. Okay. So you agree on the list of things. Now, how do you then give the accountability off to the engineering staff? Because it's not a hackathon. It's not a free for all. It's not a, Hey, let's just go do whatever we feel like doing. Or I, I wanted to learn something or just like as an experiment, which is still has a, has a place, but sparingly the team. Then we say, we, we add a ceremony. We actually add a pitch. We added a pitch day. We said, okay, here's what's on track for the quarter and what we're going to work on. Now come up with something. What do you propose? How would you like to spend the next two weeks? Or we actually started with one week. We started with one week increment, reducing risk. That's, that's the, the, the whole, how you run an experiment. You, you create an amount of a place for you, a cost failure. So I can afford to lose this much. So if I lose anything, I lose one week of productivity. That's, that was what I was willing to commit to losing. And then I established a little bit of a framework, say, here are the goals. And now let's pitch to each other amongst the entire team. And then people can join up with each other. So I stole a little bit from hackathon, the hackathon framework where you can, you can have a pitch day and people can join your idea and learn things. Um, I would also like behind the scenes, be encouraging people to collaborate with each other. Oh, there's a learning opportunity over here. So-and-so is working on X. You can go join them and that'll give you good exposure to this subject that you're working on developing. And so then the pitches would occur and then it gives us also an opportunity to see how people are thinking. Like, how is this related to that project? Okay, that makes sense. And so, and how will this help us be successful throughout the rest of this increment or this, this series of events that we're embarking on or number of projects that we're doing? And then the last part is holding ourselves to the results. So that's why the demo day is super important because demo day whole is all of the stakeholders, which is the product person, the technical manager, your peers on the team, we all meet together and we show off the progress that we've made. And then I actually added this little fun detail at the very end where uh, I wrote a survey. So then you get to vote and there's prizes and it's just for fun. And I make sure that that's important. It's not about 
the prizes aren't about winning anything. Everyone actually gets something for participating. But oh, so participation medal. That's right. It's actually participation caramels. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they get a bags of salted caramels. Uh, they got to choose. They choose the rewards, but they measure each other based on characteristics that we identify in what we call a competency framework. And you know what the competency framework, loosely for folks that might be listening, it's a framework where we literally wrote down the qualities and developmental characteristics of, of a professional, an engineer, an engineering manager that we appreciate to as a developmental track. For instance, leadership, communication skills, your ability to move around uh, uh, different types of personalities to help communicate objectives or progress on uh, a specific initiative. And so I baked those actually into a voting tier and I weighted each of them. So how well did they communicate their idea? What was the craftsmanship or what could you measure the craftsmanship by? And then at the, so at the very end, they all, they present and then they vote on each other. And then we distribute uh, gifts to everyone for participating. And I'll tell you, man, like these demo days, like we'll do a demo, a demo day will be probably an hour, hour and a half on a regular sprint. These demo days after this, these dev sprints are like full on day long events. Like if it wasn't COVID right now, this would That's be great. like the team activity. So what I'm hearing is engineers kind of get excited, almost like competitive to get what they kind of proposed in the beginning to get it done, delivered, demoed, and actually get some upvotes to win mm. those caramels. Yeah. Well, this time there it's a... Uh, I think it was like a board game and some kind of toy that they that they thought was cool. Okay. It's like it a is. small competition. It's like a game. It's a gamified mm -hmm. uh, sprint. Yeah. What I think um, people get drawn to is that they feel like they get to attack the things that have been getting in their way. For instance, we have, um, we're actually, uh, we're building what we hope to eventually open source is a tool for writing or maybe a library for creating GraphQL services um, with Java, the ergonomics with the with the Java language and GraphQL are a little bit clunky, and it's a little ambiguous. But and we've been attacking that internally, and the the engineer that's been leading that effort, they wanted to modularize it a lot more and make make that increment. But it's hard to it's hard to do that and make those decisions while we're like tackling security issues, pushing services to to the cloud, and moving other types of object objectives that come up. Okay, that's that's really good to hear. Um, um, so let me let me clarify something. Maybe that was my misunderstanding of what the dev sprint is. So sounds like I was got, getting that wrong. So sounds like from, from what you described is that the dev sprint is actually aligned with your goals for the quarter. It's not like you said, it's not a hackathon. It's not just, hey, let's go and, and do something kind of really completely different because we wanted to address some technical depth or play with Rust or something like that. So it's actually you you're looking at the goals for the quarter and as a team you deciding okay what technically what do we need to do to get ready for this quarter so we're better prepared to execute our goals so we're not scrambling kind of later and figuring out hey how how do we do that mm -hmm. yeah okay exactly okay so that kind of makes it easier to or maybe even unnecessary to ne negotiate the time because it's actually time spent towards the goals that you already right. committed to to execute, right? It's just taking that time, carve out that time for engineers to kind of think and and do better preparation. Right. Okay. But from their perspective, not from the perspective of the manager or the product person. Right. So you're giving them kind of freedom and autonomy to think how do we execute how that I think that's that's the emphasis. How do we execute the goals, how do we do that? Uh, what frameworks, what languages we use? And mm -hmm. sounds like the team gets more excited because autonomy is part of the motivation, right? So they get that autonomy, freedom of to think and experiment. Uh, and that kind of gets them going. In the, in, at least, and yeah. that's really important in the beginning of the quarter because that sets the tone for the rest of the quarter, right? Absolutely, okay. man. Yes. That's awesome. It absolutely does. It's in its... I wonder if that's actually what I'm most excited about. It's that I've come to the beginning of a quarter and the top of the, of the quarter, it feels like, okay, here's the next mountain we're going to climb. 
And that's what it feels like at the beginning, just a ton of effort. But if you set up a good base camp, if you have the time to do that and prep and you had your granola bar and you've got your water and you got your backpack on, your gear's looking good. You got the best stuff. It's light. It's efficient. You're like, I'm ready to go. I got all this new stuff. You have a lot of novelty, right? A lot of things feel kind of new and you just, you can start that adventure. And that's what it feels like at the, at, like right at, as we close that sprint, we close that demo day. Uh, we do, we actually retro. I forgot to mention that too. We do retro the, literally we retro the event because it is possible that someday we don't need it anymore. Cause now I'm starting to ask myself the question, well, what's the special sauce about the dev sprint that we want to capture for all of our sprints? How do we get more of our sprints kind of like feeling this way? So thinking back on just thinking about my teams and projects that I've done in, in the past past years, I don't think one sprint would be enough to address everything that we need to be like really ready. Like you're saying, like at the base camp, have all the gear and kind of get granola bars. I don't think that would be enough. I think I'll need like the full quarter to get ready for the next quarter. <laughs> there's a lot of refactoring. There's a lot of technical debt. A lot of unit tests are missing. You know, there's a lot of work to do. So how do you pick and choose like what's the most important and actually get it done in the sprint? Because it, there, honestly, there's not much you can do in, in one sprint. There's always something comes up, you know, people take vacations uh, and, you know, you have meetings, you have a lot of stuff going on. So maybe one sprint is not is not enough. But it, in, in your case, it has to be enough, right? Because you, you're dedicating only one sprint. So how do, you, how do you prioritize that? So for the dev sprint, what's interesting about the dev sprint is it's after we've run it twice now. We did a, we called it a dev half sprint was the first one. So it was one week. We do two week, two week uh, increments. And then we did a full on sprint. Um, this, it came from the retro. They just wish they had more time. And that the previous sprint uh, actually rolled into the dev sprint. And that bummed them out a little bit because, look, we got to deliver what we commit to. And what's actually started to happen is that the, the team is starting to look at the dev sprint as a sacred ceremony. It's a time that they actually want to make sure that is honored and that they can take full advantage of it. So, for, for example, something that I heard a lot of times, and you, I know you do this a lot too, Alex, is getting the team to focus on complete like that burn down chart for their sprint close those points get as close to zero as you possibly can and the, those those crazy most sprint charts look like the cliff right it's just a straight line that goes all the way across and then that sharp downturn angle at the end or it goes or, or it goes goes <laughs> up and then a little bit down right and then at so the you end always, it's just you a want straight that, line right like that's the that's the process or at least it's maybe it's not we don't find value in it so we don't honor it as much we still we're still making progress but like okay the ceremony we'll take care of the ceremony but the thing that i found interesting with the with introducing the dev sprint is now the team is starting to look at how ways to make sure that things like rollover or or commitment rollover doesn't come into the dev sprint so naturally they're starting to talk to themselves about how do we get better at closing our sprints and completing all of our commitments so they're naturally starting to figure out how to plan better and to understand what they're committing to better for the sake of, of keeping the dev sprint um, whole or to take full advantage of what they, what they can, what they think they can accomplish in a developer sprint. But then to speak directly to what you're saying with how do you deal with all of the complexity? That's why the goals are so important because your goals and where you're working. So, so let's say for instance, Hey, we want to build this new type of feature on this, on this product. And this is kind of what we'd like it to look like. And the engineers, your, your leaders, most your engineers should have a sense of if they've been in that part of the software before, they're like, oh, you know what? There's not a lot of tests in there. Uh, it's actually quite risky. And uh, for the, this dev sprint, it would benefit us to spend time refactoring that area or migrating over to something else. And they can, that, that gives them that time to do that. So we say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. What is good? For like, what is the target outcome? What is something that, what is, what do you want it to look, what should it look like so that it can actually be incremented on in a safe way that we can meet our goals and objectives for the quarter and still have good quality software at the same time. And they have to describe that because like, you can't just say, I'm going to refactor this thing. You have to say, refactor it how? 
Okay, so so let's say the feature is pretty big, right? So you have the entire quarter to write a feature. And then it turns out there's there are not a lot of unit tests. And I know some engineers probably know know that really well. And maybe part of the code base has to be refactored, just what you said. But to refactor the code base would take, let's say, a third of the quarter, month, not two weeks. It's okay. gonna it's not gonna be one sprint. It's gonna be two sprints. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you, and you know, you have to do that. So how do you actually do it in the sprint? I have an idea, but I want to hear your thoughts and maybe I, I can go, I can go next. Oh yeah. So, uh, okay. So strategically, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say continue the dev sprint for a month. I wouldn't say that. What I would say instead then is that we have a lot of discovery that hasn't yet been realized. And we expect that this is going to pretty expensive time-wise. It's going to take us, we need about a month to spend, to spend on this thing. So for the dev sprint, uh, it would, the task to the leaders, they might not actually even spend time on that because if it's part of your, your daily, if you, it's business as usual kind of refactoring. And if you have that kind of hygiene, most teams don't, then you can, you can leverage that as just like business as usual, but a part of, if I was participating in the dev sprint and I was responsible for leading that part of the initiative of refactoring or getting this thing over the line, part of what I would set up for the dev sprint would be to really roadmap out the big parts and try to break it down into increments. So step one, we'll get it this far or we'll change, we'll introduce these new objects or we'll create a facade or something. And then that'll set us up for long-term or more prolonged term duration refactoring. So at least you have the pattern established. That's something I think you could do in a couple of weeks. You can make decisions on how you want it to transform. And by the end of the increment, you can say that this is how we will continue to change it over the next month, two months and beyond. That would be my answer to that. Yeah, I had similar idea. So um, what I would do, take the, these, the, the sprint and work on RFCs, design documents, diagrams, proposal, how do we address it? How do we refactor it, right? That's the time to kind of think, investigate, plan, roadmap, because you're not going to have that time later. So kind of that will set you up for success in the future. So if you have like take time and go into code and kind of start investigating and kind of coming up with proposals, I think that's time well spent. And at the end of the sprint, you can present Here's, here's my proposal, how to address it. Maybe part of it is that every story, every ticket will have to have, let's say acceptance criteria should be a unit test or part of the code is refactored or a certain like convert to a certain pattern or upgrade a certain framework, right? So you kind of break that work down into smaller chunks in the quarter. So yeah, similar mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's digestible. There are things that uh, the other thing actually that I do and I've done for the dev sprint is I've I strip away most of the ceremony. You said the word ticket, and we actually don't write tickets. We don't create tickets during the dev sprint. It's highly iterative. It's highly experimental. Uh, we might create some tickets, but that's up to the that's up to the team to do that. We also remove a lot of the. We still have standups. We still talk about. You know, we still use those ceremonies to, to keep each other accountable and informed. But we don't, we remove some of the rigor of, of the process um, and the meeting of the stakeholders and those types yeah, of things. Yeah, Agile is, is very flexible. There's no one scrum or Agile that, you know, you, there, there's no one rule. So as, as I said, it's pretty vague and uh, every team should have their own flavor of Agile, what works for, for, for that specific you know, team and, and people and that setup. You said, you said something interesting too about planning that gets into sprint zero. And that's also where I started to hesitate about writing about this subject. And from a giving advice perspective is because there's this sprint zero artifact that's floating around. It's not written by mo about a lot and it's, people are actually confused by it. And what I find very interesting is that people set these rules about Sprint Zero. Sprint Zero is a discovery sprint. It's the time where you spend doing research. But you also have the spike artifact. Are you familiar with spikes? Mm -hmm. And the spike is, 
hey, we don't know enough right now. We have to do some discovery. We're going to time box, right? and that's an important thing to do in, in, in any, well, in Agile specifically, but we're going to time box how our investment on discovering something about this situation. Yeah, a lot of we're going to uh, go in there and we're going to. I know a lot of uh, people use investigation. It's like there's like let's let's investigate it. We don't know what it's going to be, so it's it's like a spike. It's a it's a work that you have to do kind of research investigation type of work. There is no like real work is happening. You cannot estimate it. It just you have to go and 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 kind of look around and see what you find, and then come back with with your conclusion and only then you can come up with some some work that actually has to happen oh it's interesting is it still time box the same way no Do you still no, ticket no, no it's it's oh it's, no well it's a spike right invest you i have to go in and, and see what what's going on and then come back with with my conclusion and then we can talk about time boxing and and actual work so how long does an investigation go on for just until the per people participating are satisfied yeah or yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. Usually, it's it's a it's a it's a type of a question. Hey, is it possible? Is it possible to do that? Is it possible to build this feature? Uh, mm -hmm. Why this issue is happening? I need to go and investigate, and then I can come back to you, and we can figure out how do we fix it because we don't know how to fix it because we don't know what's going on. So I need to go and, and investigate it. And what would spend have? How many investigations have you scheduled or have have you gone through? Like a handful? Well, a lot. A lot. How long? Yeah, do they, they happen. They happen frequently. Yeah. Are they so they're ad hoc or and they're not planned? We just say we have to investigate and we go. Ad hoc, yeah. Mostly investigations happen on the kind of on on calls on support. So okay. people people have like feature requests and they have bugs, report bugs. So we have to go and investigate a lot. Interesting. Yeah. And so do you track? Do you track the amount of time spent in with investigation? Uh, it's kind of hard to track that because you can't really estimate either story points or time. So there's no, no, you know, no scope to investigation. You just have to go and investigate. But usually they don't don't take a lot of time because all you have to do is go in a code base or go and kind of dig in your logs and and see what's going on and then come back with uh, an answer that will give us some some more specifics to come up with uh, with the work required. Okay, so I see that it's like a real time activity. So as yeah. things come up, ad hoc, ad hoc, real time, mm -hmm. reactive. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We do those. We do those too. But I've, I frame that as um, we do that as part of our on call rotation, or I call it just general like application support, and we time box that actually. And so if we if I steal your term investigation, we would say I say that uh, you have twenty minutes, and if it goes beyond twenty minutes, then it becomes a ticket. And if it if that's not good enough, then escalate it to me, and then we'll figure it out from there. Because then we're going into sprint disruption, and sprint disruption we want to hold that. It's my job to hold that as sacred as possible with the team, and so I try to protect that. And that's why the spike is very important. But going back to what sprint zero is, is it sounds like a lot of folks are pigeonholing sprint zero into this like it has to be. It's it has no value, right? That's one thing that that I've heard it characterized as zero value, which blew my mind absolutely blew my mind. How can you say any work that anyone ever does ever is, has no value? I mean, you might not understand it. Well, hopefully people change their minds after they hear this episode. <laughs> hopefully there. So there is the possibility of zero, zero value. And I would say that you'd have zero value if you ran an experiment and you didn't analyze the results and made a determination, like making a decision from there. If you just kind of, for instance, oh, I tried Rust during this sprint, whoop-de-doo, and off we go. But like, well, what about it? Like, is there something we can learn from it? Should we do more with it? Like, should we build tools with it? Like, how how does it inf how does it change our environment? If you don't have that conversation, absolutely, you've completely you just straight up discarded. I mean, the individual that went through the exercise will carry and hold all of that value, and they get a little bit of experience, and maybe they'll apply it later to decision making. But you've you've you haven't really set the team in your organization up for success by just giving that away, and so Sprint Zero. It's I hear things like it has to be one week only. It's only one week. It can't be longer than a week because you have to get to giving um, back to building value and building code. So who says that? Uh, well, so that's actually a great question because I was trying to find out who said that. <laughs> who made this decision? 
because it's just it's just people like us, you know, going out there writing stuff about it. My question is back to point one: stakeholders. How do you convince stakeholders? And your your answer was to if you have trust, if you have a good relationship, and and it it's a part of the uh, goals anyway. So we shouldn't even kind of be concerned about asking for this time. So now I'm asking who says that? Because back to this point, we, sh we shouldn't have this, even this conversation. It's like, it's, uh, it's, it's work done towards the goals anyway. Who says it has no value? Yeah. So those are the folks that cannot, don't understand the actual value that's, that's coming out of that work. So value for a graphics person is, is probably different than the value of a software person. A graphics person is, is optimizing value based on how people use something, their perception of a brand, the ergonomics. A software person is looking at algorithmic performance features. They're looking at data structures. They're looking at, so their, their view of the world is, is very different. And that's why the relationship between, let's say a business product, um, business and product people are kind of in a, a similar boat and the technology people. And you see this even you know, just technology and graphics or UI UX. They, they have to come together to, to, to build empathy between the, the characteristics that each other are looking for to produce a holistic product or a holistic result. And that's when it becomes a pro problematic is when the your the organization around you lacks the empathy of other organizations developers and operations is another one it's another good one developers want absolute freedom i want to i want to pull whatever i want out of the my out of this awesome tool set you've provided me and that is the cloud and operations are saying wait a minute that's costing us a ton of money so value between those two organizations is drastically different so it's DevOps actually literally means that the developers have that empathy and appreciation for the challenges the operations side of the house is facing. But at the same time, operations is trying to like firm up and pattern ev absolutely everything. Developers want a little more chaos than that. So operations is working against the chaos and trying to firm everything up at the same time. And that's where value becomes confusing because value, if I'm an operations person and I'm looking at somebody looking to add a new language to our suite. I'm looking at that as risk. That's a detractor for me as an operations person because I don't know what Rust is. I don't know how to scan security vulnerabilities from it. You know what I mean? And then that, that is actually the, that's why the relationships between the people that are, that are responsible for creating an organization have to have empathy for each other. They have to be willing to walk into each other's realms, understand the challenges that each other face in order to appreciate and understand the value that's coming later. Disaster recovery is another good example, right? If I'm, if I'm a CEO of a company and I don't understand data center resilience or if data center evacuation, those are terms that it just are just like, what the heck? You know, like, that's not what I did. I, I did graphics or I did 3d animation. Like, I don't, I don't prove that. What, what is that going to give me? It's up to the tech, right? It's up to the technology organization to say, look, this is important to you because if this goes down, you're going to, you're putting millions of dollars at risk. You're going to have people up, you know, multiple days during the week. And that's why this exercise is strategically important. It's up to those two people to, 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 to realize that together. So how do you sell this sprint zero to those people who don't understand the value? Maybe there's some education has to happen. Um, so how do you present, how do you package it up at the end and uh, after the demos, how do you package it up and actually show here's, here are the results. And that's why we need to continue doing that. And that's why other teams need want, want to consider doing that as well. And that's what we're kind of talking about now. I'm considering doing that for my team in the future quarters, or at least have a conversation if, if we should do it. So how do you, how do we package it up at the end and talk about the value? The absolutely the sprint is a, is a critically important artifact. As a matter of fact, I will go out of my way to invite people from other parts of the company to, to join the, the demo and to uh, ask questions about what it is that we did or the decisions that we make. That's feedback. So the, the first thing I'll say about anyone considering doing a dev sprint or sprint zero is find your own way. We are writing about the dev sprint. We're going to, and we are sharing 
or I'm sharing at least the, the things that I'm excited about that I've seen work. That doesn't actually mean like in complex systems, it doesn't mean the, the results I got will be the same that you get, but that doesn't mean you can't do an experiment. So what I would do if I was getting started is I would partner with, if I have stakeholders, I'd partner with the media stakeholders and develop what's called a shadow system. Shadow systems are systems that are developed on the ground by the teams that are working within an organization that has a framework that doesn't necessarily work for them in regards to their productivity. So for instance, if broadly the company doesn't support a dev sprint, then it will become a shadow process, a process that that team does on their own, on the side of any other team that's different than everyone else for the sake of their own productivity, okay? So you're establishing, just go in knowing you're establishing a shadow system. If you use that term, then your stakeholders internally becomes internal to your team and you and your partnership with, so you've now drastically reduced the overhead of being interrogated by outside forces. So you created a little bit of a safe zone for yourself, okay? And prepare for an experiment. Now, the next decision you need to make with your product person or your stakeholder is how much risk are we willing to take? Let's say, what's the worst case scenario? We spend a week and nothing happens, right? Okay, that's the worst case scenario. What's the best case scenario? The best case scenario is we're set up even stronger than we would have been initially to get the rest of this, this quarter completed. We've motivated people. We have new ideas and a new energy that we're embarking on. So we actually stand to benefit quite a lot culturally and productivity-wise. And so one week is a fair first start. The next thing is, Make sure that everyone is comfortable with the process and talk about accountability. You talk about accountability, right? Quite a bit. And that has to be a part of it. You set those things up. I, I described the, the way I did that by handing off the, the, my responsibility, not only the prioritization, but also the accountability portion of it to the team and let the team act and behave within, within a, a limited duration. Then you have to retro. So say at the end of the thing, that we're not just going to do this blindly going forward. We're actually going to analyze the results. That is the important part of the experiment. And then we'll begin to harden the things. We'll look for the things that we really like. And we'll, we'll push away the things or move away from the things that have either been a detractor or things that don't seem to be working. Okay, so that's the conversation that has to happen with the stakeholders, right? So you uh, kind of consider pros and cons. So there's always trade-offs. Um, you consider how much risk you're willing to take compare that to uh, potential upside and all the benefits that you can get at the end. Great. So they agree with you. Let's do it. Then what's the conversation with your engineers? How does that happen? How do you set them up? How do you kind of get them? Here's the scope, right? Here's the, the two weeks. How do you kind of define this sprint zero to your engineering team? So at the end, they have something to present, something to kind of Again, to show the value at the end. Again, it's just for uh, for those who've uh, never so done it before. The one thing that I've learned about anything new that I want to try to do with the team is that the team is needs to be part of the planning process. So when I first started talking about Sprint Zero, I presented the, as just a generic idea to the team. Hey team, and we meet, uh, we actually meet weekly. Some folks call this staff meeting. I call this strategy meeting. Because um, staff meetings, I think, are just boring. We're just sitting around looking at each other, talking about the stuff we're up to. Strategy meetings, like we do stuff like tech talks. We attack like technical issues. We have a dedicated hour every week where we sit together and we, we do those things. Actually, this week, we invited someone from another team to present their understanding of GraphQL to us and um, give them, give them feedback and kind of nurtured their development. So how do you talk to engineers about kind of the, how do you set them up for the sprint zero? How, how do you, how do you convince them to, um, you know, to think about or oh, yeah. buy into this, this idea and kind of set some expectation, what, what should be delivered at the end? Right. So during those times, so then since I have the a meeting artifact that we're already accustomed to talking about strategic things and new ideas, that's where I introduced the concept of, of the dev sprint. And I described it. Just as I described it to you, I met with another manager. We had this nice discussion. He shared this dev sprint with me. And that was uh, something that I was thinking about trying. I ran it by the team. Hey team, here's kind of what we're thinking. Here's this possible ceremony or dev sprint artifact that we can try out. What do you think? I'm thinking let's reduce risk. Let's try it for a week. And then they agree with that. 
And hey, we need to hold each other accountable. What do you think of these few features? What if we did a vote afterwards? Would that be fun? Or do you think it would pit us against each other? Can our culture support this kind of thing? And then invite them to have feedback to harden the process. But then as the manager of the team, I'm accountable to make sure that they have all the information they need to make the decisions that they need to make about what what they're going to commit to. Okay, makes sense. Um, and so you kind of set them up for here's we have two weeks and here are the goals for the rest of the quarter. And hey, let's you, you have all the freedom. Please go in and kind of look based on these goals and requirements, go kind of investigate and, and propose what we need to do before we even start working on the goals. And that's going to go and, and then what, two, three days from now, present your ideas. Like how, how does kind of the, the specifics yeah, I try to get all that information to the team at least two weeks in advance of the dev sprint, even sooner if I can, even sooner. That gets into roadmapping. Like my goal is to get a six month roadmap. It's, but it's, when I say roadmap, I mean it as a very flexible artifact. I'm, it's just, even a year is way too far in advance. Six months is really hard to achieve accurately because factors change, the shape of the business changes, the market changes, you have to be able to respond to those things. But yeah, absolutely have to have all that stuff up front so that they can start thinking about it. Now here's you know, a lot of interesting things happen in a dev sprint. Sometimes it's just, you know, we're, we want to partner with a new vendor and we need to understand where their docs are. We need to know like what their system, how their systems work, what their SLAs are. And that's what people, someone will spend two weeks just doing. And they'll build demos and sample integrations. And then we have a lot of information we can use to start putting our, our either a plan or an application together. Yeah, another thing could be- There's definitely value in that. Yeah. Another thing I've seen is we'll actually scaffold out a new application, like net new. And we'll look at what do we need this application to do. So for our team, we build a lot of, a lot of uh, platform type of tools. And continuous integration is part of that. So our team, this uh, dev sprint uh, developed a, what's it called? What Pizza Hut does? It's the pizza delivery, pizza tracker. That's what it is. They wanted to have a pizza tracker for, to help someone understand like what stage their deployment was in, right? Simple, simple feature. But as a side effect of that, it also automated a bunch of operational procedures they baked all that in and they set up uh, custom GitHub actions. They had all the plumbing and work done ready to actually start building us. So they basically spent the time building a platform that they would continue to evolve through the rest of the rest of the quarter. But it also gave us something we can put in front of engineers right now to start getting feedback on as to whether or not they thought it would be useful. So then we can actually understand either we need to pivot, throw it out, but we also had a lot of good work already done to set us up. Okay. So back to specifics. So day one of the sprint zero everyone presents their idea like one by one. So there's no like squads within the team. It's just everyone presents their own ideas. So the way we do, um, the way we do pitch day, so it's a pitch day. It happens before dev sprint. It has to happen. It's usually an hour long ceremony and we have basically a sign up sheet. So write down your ideas. Here's the, we have a grid, here are all the objectives with descriptions and what the outcomes are we, we're hoping to achieve. And then you put in a grid of what projects you want to work on and who's going to be on your team. And then that becomes pitch day. So everyone has like five or 10 minutes and they talk about what it is that they're going to pitch, but they, there's requirements. You have to say how it's associated with the goals and what, what you expect to achieve and what the margin of error will, will, might, might become. Okay, so based on the on the sign up sheet, everyone presents or whatever present the, those ideas. You have an hour, and then how do you decide which ideas actually get worked on? Well, let's say you have yeah. let, let's say you have six ideas, but actually there's the time to work on them, and maybe there's some conflict in ideas, and people want to be part of other ideas. So you know, there's could be a, a little bit of a conflict. So how do you decide within those ideas what actually been included in the sprint zero. So most times before they're written down, they've already been talked about in some capacity. I meet in one-on-ones constantly with folks. I, I use the one-on-one as an opportunity or even our weekly meetings. I use them as an opportunity to remind people of the outcomes we're trying to achieve. And that really seeds an environment for people to make those dis- make decisions that are more closely aligned. But it's absolutely possible 
to have an environment where you have people just kind of planning out, just going nowhere with, with something or they're going somewhere, but they're not going in the general direction that you're, you hope they would. For those cases, I'll actually provide feedback. Even most of the time, we'll, I'll get it cleaned up before the pitch day. Uh, but there are times where, you know, actually it hasn't really come up too much. But if I was in that situation, I would ask, you know, engage coach, coaching. I would say, well, how does this relate to, or which goal does this relate to? Would be the first question I would ask. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm working on, and maybe there's something personal they're doing. So for instance, something that's not, necessarily exactly a quarterly goal might be learning a language. And sometimes you have someone on the team that you're hoping will become a subject matter expert in another part of your, your software suite. But in order for them to do that, they need to learn that language or they need to understand the patterns of, of that system. And so that, that could be something that they pitch. And I've seen that as well. Like, Hey, I'm going to spend this time reading this book and building a small demo application that shows my competency in this technology. Like, okay, cool. So I see that I can exp- tell my product person or technical program manager what what value we're going to get out of this time spent, but it doesn't always necessarily look exactly like the thing that we're, we're, we're setting out to get done for the quarter. Okay. So did you have any, any cases where like based on the sprint zero, the outcome of the sprint zero, the quarterly goals change? Let's say an example, end of the sprint zero, there was an investigation refactoring this piece of code and turns out, oh, it's a big mess. Uh, and we have to do like a lot of work to actually get this feature done or something else is like, oh, it turns out it's actually impossible to, to build this feature because we have like these dependencies and this is not ready and, and we have to do you know, a certain amount of prep work to get this done. Any examples? Yes. Awesome question. So one, actually the first dev sprint we, we ran, it actually taught me something. Uh, a couple of engineers on, on the team saw that there was this, a new program that was being rolled out broadly. All teams were engaged in this in some capacity. And we didn't have anything in our goals drafted to participate in that. We're, again, we're a platform, we're a support team. And we build a lot of tools. We manage the monorepo. We've got a lot of like complexity that we we tolerate. And uh, one of the engineers on the on the team decided, like, well, we actually want to build the base componentry of this feature for all because we know all the teams are going to need this, and we're already working with the team that's kind of designing a lot of these things. We think if we get this done, it's going to help all the other teams be more productive and again achieving our goal to get this big program out in front of the customers. And uh, I heard the pitch and I actually said, you know what? Yeah, let's shift to do that. Let's make room in our goals this quarter to support this because I know we're going to have to support this long-term. I think there's a lot of value here uh, and we should absolutely do it. And not only did it change my thinking and change the goals for, the, for that quarter, it had all of the great effects that we were hoping it would have by um, having one development team actually spend the effort to build those components. And then all the teams got to take advantage of that work. But then we also went fishing for more of those opportunities. We discovered this new type of work because of the way this engineer was thinking and finding these opportunities. I then asked my program manager, hey, let's do more stuff like that. Let's find more of these opportunities each quarter and see how we can fit them in. So absolutely, yes, uh, can really have. And also your question around feasibility. I see teams struggle with this all the time. They'll say, we want to do this this quarter. And then we'll say, okay, we're ready to go. But then that team says, well, we're not sure yet what, what it is we need from you. We're not sure, you know, what change actually looks like. And so in those, in those, you can't, you can't commit to that. You, you just can't not at least without saying, we're not sure when it, where the end is going to be, or you can't even make any guarantees that you're going to get anywhere, anywhere near close to being done with something or having value or delivered value against that objective because you're not even sure what what done means at that point. Right, it's like in construction, like you can't really uh, estimate any work be- before you open up the wall and see what's behind that wall, right? It's yes. just impossible to say. Uh, so right. first thing in construction, you have to open up the wall and then only then you can start talking about estimating and, and kind of the damage that 
that's been done. Maybe there's a water, maybe there's, you know, something else going on. You never know. So that's the same thing. You, you don't know what you're dealing with until you open up the wall. Yeah. And you should absolutely have, I mean, I think at least it's important to bake in the discipline and the honesty in your planning process to know when it's time to pull the plug on something. If you can't commit to it, you're, and if your clients can't or your dependencies can't commit to the thing, pull the plug, take it away from your team. Don't let it confuse them. You take it as the leader, the manager, or the product person. Go disambiguate the scenario. Figure out what, what's going on. Get a firm commitment and then come back to the team later. But don't keep mixing up the environment like that or adding and removing things. It just confuses people. Um, and especially it speaks against all the progress you might've made in the dev sprint. So, okay. So as a last thing to cover, um, any other side effects, positive or negative side effects coming out of the sprint zero. So we talked about, you know, effect on the scope of the quarterly goals. Uh, you talked about engineers kind of get excited about closing sprints, which is great. They see the value in closing sprints. So they don't think of sprints as just a meaningless ceremony that managers obsess about. So they see some value, right? So they kind of have a little bit more investment in that. Anything else that, that you see coming out of the sprint zero? Um, not obvious, like other than just just uh, what what the demos demos are. Yeah, aside from the cosmetics, the things you can uh, right. naturally observe. Yeah. yeah. The, the general sense of ownership that the team isn't and really shouldn't be, that the, your relationship with your team isn't about what you're, you can get out of your team, but it's what you can accomplish together. And togetherness requires that you share the functions that drive the outcomes. And the thing about the dev sprint is we're saying, I'm giving you control. I'm giving you complete control of where we're going next, but I'm going to seed you with information. And then they get to go through the process of making their own decisions. Not only is there this new sense of, of ownership of the objectives, because it's not like, hey, I'm asking you to do something, but also have participate in the ownership of that something. That becomes a more natural. So the, the, the progress along the way is celebrated more broadly. So the, by sharing with people what it means to plan to be accountable for the decisions we're making, much like a product person does, you know, like, hey, I have to sort all of the things and, and put a priority order here. Um, giving that to the to the team of engineers has been very rewarding from from a culture perspective. Okay. Care more yeah. deeply about the work. Makes makes total sense. And also for those who've never done it, including me, I think it's a it's a great change of pace. It's a, like you said, it's a it's a novelty piece. Uh, I think you have to change things up uh, once in a while to to kind of get people excited again because it can feel like just a constant work and no fun. So doing something different, at least for a week or a sprint, I think that's a, that's a great contribution or uh, positive effect on the culture in general. That actually came up as um, during our retro on the on our last dev sprint. That was something that almost everyone unanimously said that it was just a nice change of pace. See, too often Agile and Scrum as used seemingly used against the team to squeeze product to what we understand is value out of a group of people. And we just tune, we, we think it's our tool to tune and tune and tune, but that's actually not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be iterative. It's supposed to be a shared process that everyone contributes to for the betterment of our productivity as a complex system. But too often though, I think that engineers and developers and product people and people or even, even entire organizations that think of Agile, they look at it as a means to control or a means uh, a control lever on the team. And if your team is feeling like that, if they're feeling like I need a break from this process, it's because it's being used, the process is being used against them in some way. And they're not being invited to use it as a tool to, um, to improve their daily lives and the work that they do. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So with that, 
Thanks. I know you're working on the article, kind of written piece about this. So everyone, please check out pragmaticlead.com. By the time we release this episode, I think we're going to have this posted on, on the website. Definitely. All right. Anything else? That's it, Alex. All right. That was great. Thank you. Thanks, man. See you later. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Pragmatic Lead Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting or helpful, we would appreciate your feedback. If you want even more content like what you just heard, check out pragmaticlead.com. If you have a story to tell, send an email to pragmaticlead at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Thanks again.